2: Welcome to Turning Hard Times Into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor.
3: Welcome to Turning Hard Times Into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. And as I like to remind you each and every week, I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. And my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes What Is Chen Buying? What Is Chen Selling? And if you're interested in, in uh, subscribing to Chen's letter or my letter, you need to go to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com. If you are interested in Chen's letter, you need to put your name on a waiting list. And then during the first uh, couple of weeks of the new quarter that will begin in uh, April, uh, you can uh, sign up uh, and actually subscribe to Chen's letter. It only accepts new subscribers uh, at the beginning of each calendar quarter. We would like to... Uh, would like to encourage you to continue sending along your questions and comments, criticisms, praises, what have you to questions for Taylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, Taylor at gmail.com. And also you can follow me on Twitter under taylor Media. Uh, Want to thank uh, each of you for listening to this show, making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice of America Business Channel. Want to also uh, thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for today's show are Novo Resources, Copper Bank Resources Corp, and Kalinex Mines. And uh, with respect uh, to our sponsors, I will be talking to Quentin Henning of Novo Resources. Uh, in uh, I guess I'm going to be talking to Quentin in a couple of weeks from now. Uh, and uh, this Novo Resources uh, share price got taken down fairly uh, hard uh, following the announcement of the deep drill hole last Monday. Uh, actually, I thought the news was quite good from a geological point of view. In fact, one of the geologists that knows this project very well said to me that it was really, uh, you know, clearly the people that don't understand What's going on there? Uh, took the stock down, sold it off. They were speculating that there would be a big hit on the deep uh, deep hole. And and this geologist said, you know, it's kind of stupid in a way because if they uh, had drilled the uh, put the drill down in three or four di- meters in either direction, they could have come up with a major uh, intersection. So the point is, the geologists love it. It's looking very very good. Uh, I continue to like this stock very much, and look at uh, periods of time, of uh, times of weakness like this as a possibility, a possible entry point for those who may be interested. It is a speculative story, no doubt about it, but it is a very high-grade near-surface oxide deposit that I think should be. Looks like it could be very well a very pro, a very high uh, value, a very high margin. Uh, prospect, given the details that we've discussed with Quentin Henning before on this show. Uh, Just a a, a note of interest, the company came out with some assays today, and um, it's a very nuggeting a high-nugget situation where, and that's what makes the assaying so difficult, where one time you can hit phenomenally high grades and then other times come up with things that are not nearly as high. But, for example, in today's assay, they had uh, an assay of over 40 grams over a meter and a lot of other highly economic uh, grades also in that uh, in that press release. So I continue to like it, this story, very, very much. It is my top holding personally. It is a Whitwaters Rand look-alike, geologically at least at this point in time. Uh, anyway, we'll be talking to, um, to Quentin Henning in a couple of weeks. He'll be updating us on Novo Resources. Uh, also, next week I'll be talking to the CEO of Cornerstone, their previous sponsor of this show. They have a very attractive gold-copper-porphyry discovery in Ecuador uh, that another company is funding uh, and moving it along, uh, and Cornerstone has a 15% carried interest in a project that I think could be very substantial. I've titled today's show, uh, Will the Swiss National Bank or Putin Detonate the Petrodollar? And my guests are Richard Mayberry and Michael Oliver. Uh, Michael will provide us with his assessment of the structure and momentum of the precious metals markets. We'll see if we can uh, tease some uh, some views uh, out of him with respect to the equity markets and, and some of the other markets as well. Uh, and then we'll be talking to Richard Mayberry at about half past the hour. You know, in 1971, Henry Kissinger devised the petrodollar through the use of a military arrangement with the oil-rich Middle East, and really with Saudi Arabia, making sure that oil was paid for in dollars, thereby putting a bid under the dollar. Otherwise, the dollar would have nothing to prop it up since gold was taken away from it. Now, a number of uh, nations, after many decades, are rebelling against the forced use of the dollar, most notably Russia and China, and I would say India to an extent as well, and a lot of other lesser countries countries in fact it is exactly those countries that refuse to go along with our uh, with the petrodollar that are deemed to be rogue nations by the United States and by NATO well We're going to be talking, as I mentioned, in just a bit, well, about half past the hour with Richard Mayberry. He explained in his last monthly letter why he thinks the Swiss National Bank's decision to delink the Swiss franc from the euro is, quote, the most important fact of our economic lives and will be for years, end of quote. So we'll be really looking forward to Richard uh, to explain to us why he thinks uh, that um, what the Swiss National Bank does and what the Swiss Frank does uh, is so important in terms of uh, our futures, uh, our economic futures. I would like to comment just a little bit uh, before we go to Michael Oliver uh, on some of the uh, equity views, uh, the market views of Dr. Robert McHugh. Um, Dr. McHugh said regarding um, in his letter that was published this this morning. Uh, he said that, he's uh, on page 23 of, of this last missive, he said that there's a possible head and shoulders topping pattern finishing the Dow Industrials with a downside price target of $13,300 around that range. This pattern is not complete, is not confirmed, but sure looks like it is headed there. A decline below 17800 on the Dow would confirm the pattern, which would mean the probability of that downside price. Target being reached uh, would increase. In other words, the likelihood of that downside target of seventeen thousand three hundred would be increased. Well, as I glance up at the Dow right now, it's at seventeen seven twenty one, down about two hundred and seventy three points today. So certainly heading in that direction. Uh, Doctor McHugh goes on to say there is a major trend turn. There is a major trend turning. Turn approaching in markets within the period of mid March through mid April 2015 that could set the stage for the remainder of 2015. I cannot rule out the possibility that this major trend turn has started early, this past week even. Now, with respect to gold, Dr. McHugh said, uh, gold is finishing the final wave E down, subwave of a five wave uh, declining bullish wedge. If this is in fact occurring, then gold should decline to the range of 1,100 to 1,130 over the next week or two. Uh, it suggests that the rally from November 5th, 2014 through January 22nd, 2015 was subwave D up of this five wave declining bullish wedge, and that gold's decline the past month is wave E down. Now, if gold. Is in fact finishing this declining wedge. It provides some terrific clarity for the future intermediate trend for gold. These patterns are termination bottom patterns, and it means gold is headed much higher during the last nine months of 2015, headed towards a minimum of 1,425 by year end. And it means that gold could see a 25 to 30 percent rise later this year. Gold has closed before the bottom boundary of its two standard deviation 20-day Bollinger Bands the past two days. This is a buy setup. It means once gold closes back above the bottom boundary, it will generate a buy signal. Over the past year, it has generated three other buy signals shown on the chart on page 46 of this weekend's letter. On Monday, silver joined gold on a Bollinger Band setup for a buy signal. And he says that gold and mining stocks are deeply oversold uh, at the daily time frame. This tells us precious metals and mining stocks are putting in a bottom of some significance, end of quote. Well, those are the views of Dr. Robert McHugh on the equity market, on, on the gold markets. We do have to go to break now. And uh, when we come back, uh, we'll be uh, talking with Michael Oliver. Michael uh, has his own way, his own Unique uh, proprietary technical tools that he uses. Uh, and what I find very encouraging and always comforting is to know that different analysts are coming, are arriving at the same answers, for, but from different directions. Uh, I think that uh, Michael Oliver's views are somewhat uh, in line with those of Dr. Robert McHugh, but we'll ask him, uh, as soon as we come from back from the break, so uh, let's go to our uh, thirty to our commercial break, and then when we come back, we'll be talking to Michael Oliver. Don't go away; we'll be right back.
1: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here, Voice America Business Network. Novo Resources Corporation, trading symbols NSRPF on the OTCQX and NVO on the Canadian Securities Exchange, is an advanced junior mining exploration company whose highly prospective assets are located in the Hammersley Basin of Western Australia. Novo's flagship asset, its Beaton's Creek Project, has an NI 43-101 compliant resource of 420,000 ounces at a grade of 1.5 grams per ton. With $10 million in cash and strong shareholder support from Newmont Mining, Novo looks to complete a feasibility study in the first quarter of 2015.
4: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
3: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really glad to have with me once again uh, Michael Oliver. He's a frequent guest now. I love to have Michael here because of his objective views of the market. He has his own proprietary tools that he uses and uses them very effectively uh, to help people start to understand where they should be leaning in the in the markets, which uh, you know nobody knows with, with complete clarity exactly when. A market is going to turn. So what we try to do is uh, is assess the probabilities as best we can. And Michael seems to do a, a fantastic job of that using his own uh, his own tools. And so I would suggest that uh, listeners go to olivermsa.com. Oliver O L I V E R M is in Mary, S is in Sam, A is in Albert. Com uh, to learn more about Michael's services. Thanks for joining me again, Michael. Good to be here, Jay. Always good to talk to you. Uh, and you know, we're having uh, we those of us who are long in gold got a real kick in the gut last Friday. We got hit extremely hard. Uh, uh, those of us that have maybe been uh, prematurely on the long side of the gold market, with hindsight, we can say that. Uh, but you know, it prompted a, a listener, uh, Michael, that sent me an email. Uh, He asked me if I could ask you uh, if you think gold has made its lows. He noted that after last Friday's sell-off, things got really ugly, Uh, and he says that he's fearful that gold may embark on a 20-year bear market like the Nikkei did after its highs in 1989. The lister says he is fully invested in gold and silver stocks, and he said he is cursing himself for not having sold all of them, in twenty eleven of course he's looking at the markets with twenty twenty hindsight when we like to have that looking into the future michael but what what are your thoughts i mean first of all i would say to to this gentleman and i'm i'm not really necessarily following my own instructions but clearly uh... some kind of diversification is wise and not have everything into gold and silver shares probably
4: oh absolutely Um, you've got to be strategically placed at all times because opportunities up or down come from all all kinds of marketplaces and there's not just one market in the world that matters. Uh, the gold is important. As far as the, the question from your listener, um, I can understand his concern. I, I've come to the conclusion that uh, I'm, I'm neutral on the near term right now. I did that last Friday when we broke below the 1190 level. I mm-hmm. thought that zone, 1190 to the low 1200s, would probably hold it held for about two weeks. And finally, they plunged below on Friday. And that really didn't break my longer-term view that... The 1130.30 low, which was last November's low, just above 1130, uh, still stands a good chance of being the low. Now, mm-hmm. it doesn't much matter if you're long, you know, between 1130 and 1250 or so, if you're back down in the uh, mid-1100s. But I, I don't see, I've, I've done my homework again, and uh, along the lines of the question of, of your listener, uh, can this thing really cascade a lot lower? I do not see the potential.
3: hmm uh,
4: it could be that Dr. McHugh's uh, Elliott wave count is uh, on target, and we could go you know, marginally sweep that low, which is what he's talking about. Yes. Mm-hmm. But I'm not even sure of that, uh, frankly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've looked at dailies, weeklies, monthlies, and I'll tell you what, if I were a bear on gold right now, a, a trader, let's say, not an investor, but a, a short trader looking for the new low, if you don't get that new low very rapidly, I don't think mm-hmm. you're going to get it. And I'll, I'll say this as well. If you get back above 1190 again, I think you probably are not going to see a new low. Now, that's $30 above us. That's a couple percentage points. It's not a lot. Yeah. But if if you don't sweep those lows soon, uh, probably in the next days, and you turn back up $30, I think uh, all you've seen is a higher secondary low than the November low.
1: Mm-hmm. And that
4: the uh, the big picture stuff, I ran annual momentum last night, and one thing did happen early this year. We took out last year's oscillator highs. Now, mm-hmm. that... After multiple years of down, by the way, since peaking in 2011, that Uh is a solid tap on the shoulder that says something positive has occurred there, despite the pullback since then.
0: Uh
4: So I'm inclined to think that no, we're either close to the low or we have already seen the low, and I think it gets resolved shortly, one way or the Mm
3: -hmm. other. Well, certainly the uh, the listeners. uh, his fears and his, his sentiment is, is what you would expect to see uh, near, a, near a low. I mean, it's just the way we feel when we're long, when we're on the wrong side of the market, near the bottom. Uh, we're ready to capitulate and give in. So it's uh, I, I know the feeling very well because I'm long <laughs> on gold and silver. Uh, it is painful. Uh, but mm-hmm. I've been through these markets, and I know you have uh, along with me. And we know that they don't go in one direction forever, obviously. And, uh so, You're I, I think... you
4: versus uh, the dollar value of gold. You know, if you plot yeah. a euro chart, euro gold, or a uh, yen gold, uh, this is not the same situation. <laughs>
3: So. No, for sure. And the Canadian dollar, even. And then some of the companies that I follow, uh, are doing business in Canada. And, you know, they're getting their, their price in, in Canadian dollars is, is a lot different. And they're, and they're doing better, uh, than a lot of the American companies. Well, you speak of the dollar. And I, I mean, that dollar is just relentlessly rising, though, Michael. And I see when I looked a little while ago, it was, uh, 98 point, uh point, 98.46 on the index. It's up point, uh, 0.88 today. Uh, what's your view on the dollar? What, what's your structural momentum models well, telling I, I you about the dollar? I did a,
4: a big piece on that in the weekend report, uh, the dollar yes. index, looking back over 30 some odd years of, of its price history and its momentum. And I, I came up with a stark conclusion. Uh, and I, by the way, I have been bullish the dollar since 2011 when it was in the low 70s, the dollar uh-huh. index uh... based on annual momentum but now when i reassess annual momentum which is a long-term metric so it's not looking at the day-to-day week to week it's looking at the big stuff uh, i come away with a cold slap in the face uh... sort of surprised me what i found was that it just looked like uh... this is more close to the end of something not some uh, further dramatic rise uh... in fact you could almost make the case just looking at price going back to the seventies mm-hmm. this is just another after two massive waves down uh, another 50% or so correction to the upside yeah. of prior down leg. Uh, and uh, the annual momentum says uh, don't wobble. Uh, any wobble of any consequence uh, could start a topping process. And yeah. I, I think I, I defined a number for applicable for next month, not this month, because you're unlikely to do it this month. Uh, but in the month of April, you get down under 97. Like you said, we're uh, 98.5 right now. That's not much room. You get under 97, and you're going to get a break. Uh, that could be the beginning of a topping process. In fact, my bet would be that it is. Now, when I say beginning of a process, I don't mean you top and just go down, but you, you start to fumble. Uh, and a lot of tops are made that way. The first sharp drop, uh, you know, is, is a break of the leg, so to speak. And then yeah. they come back up and they make a new high, but it doesn't go anywhere, and then, then you're in your topping process. Um, we look a lot like we did in 2000. Uh, Two thousand one. In fact, mm-hmm. the dollar was up at one hundred and twenty after a major move. So yes, I, I'm I'm leaning toward the view the dollar is about out of gas, uh, but it hasn't hit the numbers yet that will indicate that.
3: Yeah, I'm I'm looking at your chart now, and I see what you're talking about. It's almost like a, uh, you know, the rally that we had that ended in two thousand and one, two thousand two, mm-hmm. uh, and now this rally looks uh, you know very similar, but but each both rallies lower than the highs of. Back in 1984, which uh, right. was 160, so, and then I see your momentum uh, channels as well. Very interesting, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. very interesting. Now, let me ask you, Michael. Did uh, when you turned uh, bullish on the dollar, did that coincide with your bearishness on gold back then? Because you did make a you did make a very present call on gold. Uh, you did tell your Uh, your clients to lighten up on gold and start exiting at some point. I think maybe a little bit prematurely, but you got them out so they didn't get burned so badly.
4: Right. Well, actually, I didn't link the two. You're correct, though, in in that statement. Uh, The -hmm. dollar broke out on its 10-year average momentum oscillators in uh, mid-2011 in the low 70s. That was the price at the time, dollar index. It is. Uh, gold peaked in the middle of 2011, but really didn't break down on my work till early 2012 when it was loitering around $1,800. At that point, it was clear that it was going down, but it, as you know, it took a whole year of waffling around and teasing people before it finally fell apart in, yeah. uh, you know, in the spring of 2013. Uh, yeah, I, I actually, I didn't link the two, but you're right. Mm-hmm. There, there is somewhat coincidence there. Um, and it is possible we have the inverse situation now as well. Though I don't hold to the view, fundamentally speaking, that gold cannot go up with a strong dollar. Dollar is just yeah. one currency. You know, there's also the euro and the yen and so and the pound, and so the gold competes with them all, after all.
3: Yeah. So. Which is why you really look at all these markets by themselves, don't you? I mean, you don't right. try to. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, that that makes absolute sense to me. Well, um, so what about the? Uh, what about the long bond? How are you viewing that now?
4: Uh, the, I'm focused more on the 10-year right now in the German bond, which is 10-year as well, a 10-year note. And You can watch the TLT as well, which is the ETF of the 20 years maturity uh, U.S. debt. They all uh, had a sharp jolt to the downside, a rise in yields since late January, a significant rise in yields, eight-tenths of a percent, in fact, in the 10-year uh, note. Uh, so I, I think it's important. I think that rattling, though, is premature. I don't think it's necessarily the top in the price or the bottom in yields yet. I think that likely we're going to get rising rates evident by mid or later in the year, and that we may be in the process now of gyrating these markets into topping patterns, meaning the bottoms in yields and, and future upside in yields. Um, mm-hmm. And so I I think that right now the fear that rates were rising is a bit premature, and I think that if the equity markets in particular wobble hard and the potential exists, of course you know what you're going to get. You're going to get a flight back into those debt instruments, yeah, safety factor, and that will help yields go back down, but that could be temporary. Mm -hmm. So I I see the debt markets, the government, the safe debt markets, quote-unquote, as potentially (laughs) being in topping patterns but not ripe yet for a real change in that trend.
3: Yeah. Well, you'd also see, you know, as as a non technical person, also thinking in terms of the link between between the long bond and the dollar too, and you just have to see, you know, in my in my mind, I just can't fathom the notion of rising interest rates with the debt uh, uh, the debt that's out there. But again, you know, you you you're looking at the markets through the the eyes of a technician uh, and not trying to guess what's causing the markets to do what. You'll figure that out later. <laughs>
4: well I I've, so, I've, I've got my own firm views on that but I I try to ne- I try to s- d- split myself down the middle and never yeah. back on on my fundamentals because those may pan out in the long run but you could get killed in the short term so uh,
3: right. it's, it's right. important to, to no, do No for sure well with a couple of minutes left here yet Michael if you could uh, we were having a pretty bloody day on the uh in the Dow the equity markets today So mm-hmm. the Dow was approaching a 300 Point down day. It's down 268 right now as we speak. Um, how are you seeing the equity markets now?
4: Well, in, in the weekend report, I, I, I said it's finally getting interesting in the stocks. We had our upside <laughs> breakout. You know, above the, the high in the S and P last year was 2093 high traded price. We dropped into January and we went sideways. January and February below the highs and built a little box on the price charts. It's the kind of thing that it's an arm wrestling match. Both sides are equally balanced. Very mm-hmm. clear to any. Idiot price chart technician, they could see a box. We broke through the top of the box, and that was when we went up through about 2064 uh, in February, and we surged up to new highs. But as uh, soon as we got to the new highs, no momentum indicator that I had, weekly, monthly, quarterly, concurred at all with the new highs, I meaning it was non confirmed. And the market stalled almost immediately upon making its new highs. In, in other words, rather than breaking out and just surging and surging, it, it surged briefly and then went dead. Mm-hmm. Total calm for about three weeks up there. You the daily close hardly moved. And all of a sudden, Friday, we wiped the whole thing out, and now we're deep back inside the trading range box that existed from January through February, uh-huh. uh, which is highly dangerous because if the box was valid and you broke through the top of it, you shouldn't have broken back down through the top of it. That should uh. have become support. And it was on Friday. If you recall, Friday... Uh, uh, got down to twenty sixty seven uh no excuse me Monday it was. And we shot right. up on Monday off of that twenty sixty support area, but it was only one day. Right. And then today sank that. So I think the uh the bulls have a problem here and it could easily get out of hand. My my numbers basically that say it could get out of hand rapidly are about down about twenty twenty on the S and P which is about a percent or so below today's low. Uh if you engage that level then I do not think the bottom of the price box which is around 1990, will hold. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though in 2020 you're not breaking the price level, on momentum you will be breaking some key levels. And at that point, I think you could get, watch those T notes. I I you could get some money movement back into them. Yes. Um, and anyway, that's, I, I see a dangerous situation shaping up for the equity markets here
3: yeah very interesting, very interesting indeed and and also I think in some ways coinciding with the views of Dr. Robert McHugh, who was talking about monday 's move uh, being a very tepid move with uh, in terms of the internals in terms of uh, the buy he, he looks at yeah. um, at buying strength and and selling strength and that sort of thing so very very interesting, thank you very much, Michael, for joining us again always always uh, always interesting to hear what you have to say more than that. Uh, what you have to say, I look at, and with some of the short-term trading that I do, certainly is uh, is one of the most valuable inputs for me personally. So I want to thank you very much for sharing uh, like your enjoyed. wisdom, thank you. your wisdom, and also just tell the people to go to OliverMSA.com dot com to learn more. Michael does make his uh, his uh, work available now to those of you out there who are accredited investors, investors uh, that have some money to put into the market. So uh consider uh, checking out that website and learning a little bit more about Michael's work thanks again Michael look forward to having you back hopefully next week again thank you thanks Jay folks that's uh, all the time we've got for this for this uh, segment but we're going to be talking to Richard Mayberry as soon as we come back from the break and Richard has some very interesting things to say about the Swiss National Bank and the Swiss franc uh, he thinks that they hold the clues to our future uh, to yours and my uh, economic future so let's uh Let's listen to what Richard has to say as soon as we come back from the break. Don't go away. We'll be right back.
1: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Kalinex is a junior with major near-term catalysts. This tightly held company is advancing its projects containing copper, zinc, gold, and silver in Manitoba, Canada. Calinex's projects are within 10 miles to Hud Bay's mine that has less than five years of war. Calinex has high grade deposits and new targets with exciting discovery potential, with drill results anticipated shortly. Now is the time to learn more about Calinex by visiting calinex.ca. That's C A L L I N E X.ca. Calinex is publicly traded under the symbols CNX in Canada and CLLXF in the U.S. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market.
3: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm really pleased to have with me once again Richard Mayberry, who I hope will be joining me uh, on a fairly regular basis. I like to talk to Richard after I've read his latest monthly letter and uh, after reading... The March letter, um, well, they're all good. Uh, it's one of those letters that you know. You get newsletters sometimes. You say, okay, all right, it's here. Okay, when I get to it, I'll read it. But with Richard Mayberry, it's one of those one of those letters I have to open immediately and read it because he always has insights that are unique uh, and objective. And um, well, he calls himself—I don't know—it's a two thousand-year-old man or something like that, uh, four thousand-year-old, five thousand-year-old man, and uh, he's been—he's a, a real strong history buff. Uh, he also understands austrian economics he's written books uh, several of them uh, i think you can buy they uh, can buy all of them they're on his website at richardmayberry.com that's m a y b u r y.com richardmayberry.com uh, and uh, you know books like uncle eric talks about personal career and financial security whatever happened to penny candy uh, whatever happened to justice Those are some of the books that are there available and uh, really, I think, gives you insights into why things are happening the way they're happening from a a point of view that you're certainly not going to get in the mainstream. uh, And, of course, that's why we like to have Richard with us. Thanks for joining me again, Richard.
0: I love being here. Thanks a lot, Jay.
3: really always fun to talk to you, and I know it's because I really enjoy your work and uh, your insights, and we're, of course, of kindred spirits as both of us are Austrian uh, believers, believers in liberty and the right of the individual, the sanctity of the individual, if you will, as opposed to the state. The state is always there to try to take away our liberty. The idea that we, that our rights come uh, from uh, Obama or from Hitler or from Stalin or somebody like that, as opposed to having natural rights. As a Christian, I believe they come from God. You don't have to believe that. You can believe that we, that you have the right as an individual, as an entity, to uh, to to be who you are, uniquely who you are, that we're each, and it seems to me, Richard, that most of these, uh, most of these statist c- countries, and that would be us, of course, now, they want to take away our individuality, they don't want me to be Jay Taylor, they don't want you to be Richard Mayberry, they want us all to sort of lock, goose step in order alongside each other, think, a lot, mm-hmm. think alike, and, and believe alike, and do everything alike, right?
0: Oh, yes. Um, yeah, yeah. You do a very good job of explaining that sort of thing. That's why I enjoy listening to you. Um, the, uh, uh, the Austrian economist uh, Ludwig von Mises used to complain a lot about um, what he called the presumption of knowledge that students are taught in college and, and that I'm sure practically every leader in Washington was taught in college, especially Obama. Um the the kids come out of college thinking that there's there are experts who understand how the economy works. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know and well, it's just like just like in the Kremlin, right? Yeah, right, right, the same the same socialist assumption that there are people who understand the economy, and that because they understand it, they're entitled to force their plans onto the rest of us in order to make the world a better place, right. and and that's insane. The, there's nobody that understands the economy. It's it's uh, um, and it's not a machine. As you'll notice in the n- mainstream news media, you can tell all the people who are trained in these kinds of colleges. Um, they talk about the economy like it's a machine. It can yep. be adjusted or it can be tuned or it can be speeded up or slowed down. Um, mm-hmm. The economy is not a machine. It's people, right. human beings. It's an ecology, and it's an, it's the most complex ecology on the planet. It's, if you look at uh, a tropical rainforest or a, or a tropical reef, you're looking at some of the most complex ecologies in the natural world but the human ecology which we call the economy is just unimaginably more complex than that and these people come out of college thinking there's somebody who understands it <laughs> yeah. it's crazy and, you
3: know richard what bothers me more than anything else is the fact that they do not think they need to inspect the results uh, they do not need to evaluate the results of their policies. They just continue doing the same thing over and over again, even more so. And, and the idea is that if it didn't work in the 1930s, it, was, it wasn't perfected. And this time, by golly, we're going to make sure we got it right so onward they march but yeah. i would like to uh, I, I would like to really sort of focus on your last newsletter and again okay. suggest to my uh, to suggest to my listeners that you consider subscribing to richard mayberry's uh, early warning report and again it's uh, richard mayberry maybury m a y b u r y.com uh, go there to uh, to sign up for this letter uh, it's not expensive, and it's just filled with all kinds of insights that you're not going to get anywhere else. And, um, but, I, but the one I'd like to focus on as much as we can uh, mm-hmm. this week uh, is uh, your last letter that talked about the importance of the Swiss National Bank's decision to detach the Swiss franc from the euro. First of all, uh, could you sort of give us an idea why did the Swiss decide to attach the Swiss franc to the euro, to start with, going back, I guess, uh, a couple of years ago now, wasn't it?
0: Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, in uh, 2011, they did that. Um, an awful lot of uh, <clears throat> economics, as well as geopolitics and war and all the other things, can be understood by looking at maps. And if you look at a map of Europe, you find Switzerland in the exact center of Europe, which means that <clears throat> the Swiss are landlocked. So uh, they can't uh, very easily put things on ships and trade with other countries. Uh, They have to trade with the people immediately around them. And so their whole economy, uh, which is a very, very advanced economy, one of the most advanced in the world, um, is, is heavily intertwined with the countries around them. And that means that when they're trying to do business with the people in the countries around them, They need to have um, some sort of a currency arrangement where the values of the currencies aren't bouncing around all over the place because when you're making a business deal, you've got to be able to plan ahead and you need to have some sense of what prices are going to be tomorrow before you can set up your agreements to do whatever you're going to do. And so the Swiss have tried to keep the Swiss franc tied to the euro so that there was very little currency fluctuation between the two. If you've traveled in Europe, let's say, back in the days when each country had their own currency, the currencies were always bouncing all over, and it was really hard to know from one day to the next what something was really going to cost in your own terms. Um, And so the Swiss, in 2011, they tied the Swiss franc to the euro so that as the euro went up or down the Swiss franc would go right with it um, and and that made it easier to do business with the people all around them. but the Europeans um, subscribe to the I should said European Central Bank and the other European countries. they subscribe to the Keynesian economic viewpoint which says governments should control practically everything and manipulate whatever it takes to. To do whatever they want to get done, and um, so the European Central Bank um, had been printing euros, counterfeiting euros, and the value of each individual euro was falling. Mm-hmm. And the Swiss were being forced to to um, force their own currency down with the euro, mm-hmm. A- and um, you know their own money was losing value because of this peg. To the the uh, the euro, and uh, you know they were complaining, and you know the Swiss have been complaining for uh, a half century or so um, about the the other governments' mismanagements of their currencies and how much chaos that caused. But you know they didn't; nobody listened to the Swiss, just like nobody ever did. And finally, the Swiss just. Wash their hands of it and says we aren't going to devalue our currency any further, and they cut it loose from the euro and and the Swiss franc bounced way up. And you know what the point I make in early warning report uh, in that March issue is that the, the mainstream news media missed this entirely. It's like they it was big news for one or two days and then it was gone. Right. right. But what the Swiss were doing was the same thing they did back in 1973 when the same uh, situation came up with the dollar um, declining in value and the Swiss uh, finally said, we're not going to have any part of it and they cut loose at that time from the dollar and, um, in, in fact, from all other currencies and they let the Swiss franc float up. That was the precursor to the really big inflation that occurred in the late 70s and early 80s. Oh, oh. Um, and what I'm, the point I made in the newsletter is, is you know, we, we can't be certain that this is history repeating, but it seems very likely that the Swiss, once again, are announcing that the world had better look out because these stupid governments have been doing the same thing they were doing in the seventies, which is printing their currencies like crazy and there's a really big inflation coming and uh, the wise man will be getting out of these paper currencies. Um, Now, the Swiss do not make any friends by (laughs) by making that announcement. You know, it's just they're forced into a position where They've got the best currency in the world, and they want to keep having the best currency in the world, and they can't do it if the franc is tied to these other currencies, so they bailed out. And and to me, it's not a certainty that this is going to signal a coming severe inflation, but it's a really high probability, and the wise investor will pay attention to it.
3: Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just trying to understand the the politics of why the Swiss would, you know, why they would do what they did when they did it. But, of course, initially when they, uh, when they linked to the euro, the Swiss was stronger. It was getting stronger all the time. And it was hurting their exports, supposedly. I'm sure it was to an extent. Uh, but then on the other hand, Richard, you know, the Swiss, because of their strong currency and their traditions for banking, Banking is probably their most important industry, I'm guessing. I, I believe mm-hmm. that's the case. Yeah. And so I would imagine that if, uh, if people around the world started to see uh, the, the Swiss franc start to get watered down like everything else, uh, that might have hurt their banking interest. Do you think that might have been part of what played into their detachment from the, Swiss, uh, from the euro again?
0: Yeah, that's very true. Um, the Swiss are famous for having the most prudent bankers in the world, and for being a refuge for uh, people who are living in tyranny and need to get their money out of their countries and put it in a safe place, because Switzerland has a better reputation for bank privacy than anybody else does. So, an awful lot of, of the Swiss main product to the world, which is banking, is this image of prudence and... As the Swiss franc stays tied to other currencies and is dragged down by them, the Swiss run the risk of losing that reputation for prudence. And so, in order to keep their banking system uh, alive and healthy and credible, uh, they were in the position where they had to say, you know what they what they did say, which was, these other governments are irresponsible fools, and we're all headed for disaster, and we Swiss are bailing out now.
3: Yeah. Yeah, so this, so you look at a little bit like the canary in the coal mine, perhaps. Right, and, that's a and good analogy, yes. Uh, the, the Swiss are, are, are sending a message to the rest of the world, look, this is, this is crazy, we can't deal with this anymore. And yet the Swiss, you know, they had a chance to... Um, to back that gold referendum uh, last year, that would have really uh, underpinned, or would have really solidified and made uh, made a statement, I would have thought. But maybe they were uncomfortable with that as well. They probably wanted to have it both ways a little bit. They wanted to have the the, the flexibility of increasing the money supply if they wanted to, and not. Uh, do you think that's maybe you know you made the case in your newsletter that they're probably the closest thing to Austrian. Uh, economic thinkers among central bankers in the world, and yet they're not really, are they?
0: Right. Um, uh, you, one of the disadvantages, one of the many disadvantages of being in a geographic location where they are is that they're entirely surrounded by a culture of socialists, and there is this socialist propaganda that's constantly being pumped into Switzerland. Uh-huh. And so, so the Swiss population is not of one mind about economics or anything else and, sure. and as time goes on the the swiss model of of life slowly is being eroded by this socialist pressure and there's mm-hmm. uh, you know millions of people in switzerland well maybe not millions i don't know i shouldn't say that but some large number of people in switzerland who are influential and um, in one way or another, and are being dragged over to this diabolical um, um, economic philosophy that's wrecking the rest of the world. Um, the Swiss are better off than anybody else because they're dragging their feet in this 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 journey toward socialism, um, but um, they are. They disagree with each other, you know, um, yeah. and the, the the ones who are are the most corrupted um, are are dragging along the rest to some extent.
3: Yeah, well, certainly the international bodies are very much involved in in Switzerland, and think of mm-hmm. Davos and some of those things. I mean, they, yeah. they definitely they have their influence, <laughs> and as a little tiny little country in the middle of a socialist world. It's it's uh, yeah it's hard to I suppose to remain pure but uh, certainly um, they they've tried you know the Swiss also uh, you've pointed out in another letter earlier on maybe several months ago about the Swiss military really very unique situation too Uh, Mm -hmm. you talked about the Swiss system and the Roman system maybe just take a minute to discuss that and and how that sort of plays ties in with the monetary system.
0: Yeah, um, you know this is one of my favorite subjects. I, I wish Americans would get familiar with Switzerland. Um, it teaches so many great lessons. In fact, uh, when the American founders were uh, putting together the Constitution and Bill of Rights, they studied Switzerland, and and you'll see in the Federalist Papers where they quote or they they cite various parts of Swiss culture as something that Americans. Uh, should should copy and one of the things is the Second Amendment, the right to keep and bear arms. Uh huh. Um, the the Swiss <clears throat> are in the exact center of the bloodiest place in the world. You know, um, in the last two hundred years or so, there have been more than hundred and forty wars in mm. Switzerland, or I'm sorry, in Europe. A hundred and forty wars that these other Europeans have fought and the Swiss have not participated in any of them. Even mm. World War I and World War II, as awful as those were, and Switzerland was entirely surrounded by both of them, the Swiss do not participate, and nobody attacks them because they have a military force that is astounding. <laughs> There's an old saying that Switzerland does not have an army, Switzerland is an army.
3: <laughs> Everybody's trained to, to defend their own castle, is that it?
0: That's exactly right. Um, the, you know, marksmanship is, is pretty much the national sport. And um, the, the typical Swiss militiaman keeps his battle rifle and ammunition in his home, and um, he's ready to turn out to defend the country at any moment. And that, this, the, the William Tell legend that, that we kind of consider to be a sort of a fairy tale is taken as a, a serious lesson um, by the Swiss. And what Americans don't quite get is that what William Tell did after the Apple incident is um, he went out looking for the ruler who was behind the invasion of his country, and he killed the ruler. Ah. Um, and that is part of the Swiss model, is if somebody invades our country, okay, we'll go after the privates and corporals if we have to, but what we're really going to do is go after the generals and the colonels and the politicians mm. and the Swiss are very much into free trade they trade with everybody all over the world you know we've all for instance seen uh, the swiss army knife the little pocket knife you know there's lots of swiss business done all over the world which means there are swiss all over the world all the time and each of them is a sniper
3: You don't want to tangle with the Swiss if you're. uh, But you know, here, here, Richard, if everybody has a gun in their home, they must have a horrendously high murder rate in Switzerland.
0: Actually, it's one of the safest countries in the world.
3: <laughs> I'm playing devil's advocate here yeah, because right. that's what we hear in New York City. <laughs> yeah, um, that's what we hear in New York City. I mean, we can't allow people to be armed because, oh my goodness, they would be. Of course, that's a, that's a that's a false flag.
0: Yeah, uh, an interesting point is to to focus on that most Americans never pay attention to, and the Second Amendment. All, big battles going on all the time with the Second Amendment. Second Amendment says. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. It mm-hmm. starts off with the words "well-regulated," uh-huh. and that's what the Swiss have. The whole country is trained in the proper use of firearms. Um, mm-hmm. It's not just a bunch of yahoos that go down to the local gun shop and get a gun and go out and use it without being trained. These people are very well-trained, and they keep their battle rifles in their homes. So, I mean, it's like there's almost no crime rate at all because... Every Swiss crook knows that when he breaks into somebody's house, he's going in against a trained soldier with a battle rifle. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, nice, uh, uh, yeah Job is very short.
3: <laughs> well, yeah, everybody everybody would be a threat uh, if you tried to invade Switzerland. I guess every every house would have its own uh, its own firepower. Yeah, um, you know, getting back with just a couple of minutes left here, my engineer is telling me three minutes. Mm. Uh, we're looking at the Swiss. What? How do you see? How do you see this thing playing out, then, Richard? If we're going to be uh, the Swiss, we're seeing negative interest rates essentially in Switzerland because yeah. people around the world are sending their money there, and because they, I mean, it's like you have to pay the bank to to keep your money now. I mean, mm-hmm. this is insanity. It seems to me. Of course, mm-hmm. uh, of course, they are. They are. Um, they're wrecking capitalism they're destroying the the policymakers are destroying capitalism around the world mm-hmm. by not allowing the price mechanism um, price discovery of capital essentially yep. by by destroying the so how is this going to play out then do you do you see Europe of course the euro is shrinking very rapidly now as as draghi and these guys are you know i guess really people are believing they're really going to start quantitative easing there so mm-hmm. So so the Swiss franc is going to continue to get stronger, but in, order to, but in order to put your money in the Swiss bank, well, first of all, Americans aren't allowed to anymore. The Swiss don't want us over there because of Uncle Sam sticking his nose in the Swiss banks, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And, right. And, and, and turning all of us in as crooks for doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what's going to happen? Well,
0: <laughs> how's it going to play out? I, I think, well, um, There's some things that I'm very confident about. One of them is that the whole world, all these paper currencies, are going to come under tremendous pressure, and they're going to lose most of their values. That includes the dollar, um, and practically every other one uh, will. The Swiss franc might survive it because they've got a lot of gold to back the Swiss franc, and at some Mm -hmm. point they may start um, back in that direction again. Um, it's the best bet, and that's why people are paying to put their money in Switzerland right now. Yeah, right, they think it's the currency that has the best chance of surviving. Um, the other ones, and especially the dollar, I think, don't have a prayer. And there, so there is going to be some si- sort. In my mind, at least, I'm convinced there's going to be some kind of a horrendous worldwide runaway inflation. And then the world, uh, you know, each country will will pick some sort of new alternative. Um, and, um, you know, we just don't have the time to get into the details no, of that, unfortunately. No.
3: We'll do that another time, Richard. As a matter okay. of fact, my engineer is telling me we've only got a minute left. But mm-hmm. I think, uh, you know, I would like to just tell our listeners again, again, uh, RichardMayberry.com go there and sign up for this newsletter Richard has a lot of investment ideas not only is he a historian not only does he understand economics, how the world really works how people really function but he also has some investment ideas and we don't have time to talk to you today or have him talk to you today about that but he has some very very good investment ideas that I think make a whole lot of sense so you might want to mm-hmm. just, just check out Richard Richard I want to thank you very much uh, for joining me again today, and uh, you know, yeah. just 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 to, just tell my listeners that uh, one of the things that you've convinced me to do, although I haven't done it personally yet, military stocks. As much as you love freedom and, and hate the uh, the statist system that we have, you also see the value. Uh, and and I, I would like to get into that sometime in the near future to talk about why it's not immoral to do that because i've yeah. always sort of had this idea don't want to be profiting from these killing machines but anyway that's a topic for another day okay richard, I, thank you I mention, thank you
0: can i, can I mention, yeah. have time to mention i've got a special report out on that exact subject and okay they can, they can get it by calling eight hundred five oh nine five four oh
3: okay great please do that folks and uh, thank you again richard for being with us Uh, Folks, that's all the time we've got. Uh, Be back next week. I'm going to be talking uh, to Glenn Downs, the Chief of Staff of uh, Congressman Jones, and also uh, Rob Kirby may be joining me as well. It should be a very interesting show next week. Thanks, Tacey Trump, my producer, Matt Widener, my engineer, for making this show logistically possible. Thanks to each of you uh, for listening. Next week, uh, we'll hope to see you again. Until then, goodbye, and God's blessings to you.
1: Novo Resources Corporation, trading symbols NSRPF on the OTCQX and NVO on the Canadian Securities Exchange, is an advanced junior mining exploration company whose highly prospective assets are located in the Hammersley Basin of Western Australia. Novo's flagship asset, its Beaton's Creek Project, has an NI 43101 compliant resource of 420,000 ounces at a grade of 1.5 grams per ton. With $10 million in cash and strong shareholder support from Newmont Mining, Novo looks to complete a feasibility study in the first quarter of 2015.